Welcome to Confabulation, the podcast. I'm Matt Goldberg, host and producer of Confabulation, Montreal's premier all-true storytelling series. Every week on the podcast, we bring you one of the stories from our live events, all of which are true as shared by the people that lived them. Well, except for this week's story. This week's story actually comes from one of our family events. Every December, we break the rules just a little bit and have people share not just stories of their experiences, but also the stories of their families. So a lot of these are inherited stories. This week's story is from December 2011. It's from Andrew Zadell, who's a... Wow, a real renaissance man. Andrew has been an actor, a director, I believe a playwright, certainly a writer of of other fictional works. He's also worked with NGOs, with the UN, traveled the world. I think he's, I think as we're recording this, he is, I want to say in Tanzania with Doctors Without Borders. I could be wrong about that. I choose not to look it up though, because that's how magical Andrew Zadell is for me. This man is everywhere and always working hard. And we are so grateful for when he has time to come share a story at Confabulation. So here he is, Andrew Zadell from Family Stories. I'm gonna tell the story of my family, how they got from Yugoslavia to Canada. It's a story that I've heard in snippets my whole life, little pieces, little anecdotes. And because of this event, I had to sit down and call my parents with a pen and paper and really figure out all the details. I'm very excited to finally have this story straight and to share it with you tonight. And I'm very, very excited that both my sister and my brother have come. So we've got the whole family in the house to get the official version of this, uh, of this tale. Uh, we have a link with what's going on in Yugoslavia because we visited Yugoslavia all the time. Uh, my father and mother would take us back there in the summer when we were kids. Uh, It was still Yugoslavia at that time. It hadn't broken up yet. I'm kind of revealing my age, but that's how it goes. And we didn't want to be there. I mean, I wanted to be with my friends. They were playing soccer. They were playing Nintendo, whatever. And we were like in Yugoslavia. (laughs) 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 And we stayed in the old house uh, that had been in my family uh, for a long, long time. It's an old stone house uh, in a town called Shendvit in the northern part of Yugoslavia, what is now Slovenia. And uh, it's just an old stone house, man. There's no indoor plumbing. There's no water. I mean, you, you had to go outside to the well to get the water. Well, they did install pipes eventually. You had to go outside to go to the bathroom, to the outhouse, you know? I mean, you think St. Henry kitchens are bad. You should check out Yugoslavian outhouses built in the 50s. I mean, whoa, man. So this, this is not my dream of, a, of an ideal summer vacation. But, you know, at least we got to relax and we got to see what was going on. Uh, but as time wore on, I started to appreciate the significance of this land. This piece of land has been in our family since at least 1666. That's the oldest record that we have. My father still owns this land, and we don't know how far back it goes, but it definitely has something to do with uh, the roots of our our family. Uh, In those days, the story starts in the 1940s, and it was a very simple life. They were just kind of subsistence farmers. They made potatoes and onions and that kind of thing. They raised pigs. Um, It was very, very simple living. The symbol of status in 1940s Yugoslavia in the rural areas was... uh, a pile in front of your house of manure. (laughs) I'm not even making this up. Because the more animals you have, the more they excrete. And the more they excrete, the more excrement you have. So the size of your pile of manure was kind of the size of your your status in society. So they built this kind of swimming pool-like thing in front of the house. And uh, we, we, well, let's call it the manure pit. We used to call it something else, something, a word that means manure that rhymes with pit. But it's a family show, so. Because it rhymes, it sounds better. But anyway, you get the idea. So there's this kind of, 
So we're at this house. We don't even want to be there in the summer. It's kind of lame. You have to go to the outhouse. And outside in front of the house is this stinking pile of crap, literally. <laughs> Anyways, they have since bulldozed it over. There's now even a toilet in the house. But that's kind of incidental to the story. So in the 1940s, there was a little thing called the Second World War. Uh, in Yugoslavia, there was basically two teams. We'll keep it really simple. There was basically the communists and the Catholics. It's more complicated than that. <laughs> but if you're a communist, you're into communism, you know? <laughs> Soviet Union and that sort of thing. And uh, there was that going on in this town. And our grandfather was kind of the head of the Catholic team. He was a bit of the mayor of the town in a way. It was a very, very small town, so you couldn't even call it that. But he was kind of in charge, and they had a very nice house at the top of the hill. You know, he had a pretty good status in the, the Catholic, more traditional community. Our grandfather hated communists. He hated them with a passion. That was his goal in life, was to get rid of those crazy, crazy communists that wanted to turn the world upside down. Living down the road was the leader of the communist faction. <laughs> the guy's name was Ignatz. Doesn't it just sound evil, Ignatz? Like some of these, these names in the world that just sound really evil, like, like Vladimir. <laughs> You know, like, ah, or, or Khan, or George, <laughs> W, you get it, right? Anyway, so Ignatz lived down the street, and he was the leader of the communists, and they were always at odds, my grandfather and, and Ignatz. And the war happened, and all of a sudden, the Italians came marching in, and they took over the town, and they took over all of Yugoslavia, and then the Germans showed up, and the town was taken over by the fascists. Now, my grandfather was not a Nazi. I don't know what his ideology was or what he believed. I hardly knew the guy. But the enemy of your enemy is your friend. So the Germans were giving him guns, the Nazis. They said, listen, you can be on our team, and we're going to help you defeat the communists. So my grandfather didn't fight, but the communists were being pushed out of the town uh, little by little. The same house where we used to visit and sleep became a munitions dump for the German army. And even the floor in that room in the back of the house is still slanted and screwed up because of all the bombs and munitions that were sitting in our house. So uh, the war went on. My grandfather didn't fight, and everything went OK until the end of the war. The Allies won the war, as you probably know. And an ally of the Allies, it's kind of a funny name, the Allies. Kind of implies that everyone's on your side, but it wasn't like that. But they were allied with the communists in Yugoslavia. So the communists were given Yugoslavia. Uh, Marshal Tito became the head of Yugoslavia. Now, if you were not a communist, if you were against them and they come to power, that's a very, very dangerous thing. It's not a situation that you want to be in. So my grandfather said, OK, I've got to hide because Ignatius is coming to get me. <laughs> so he pretended to go away on a shopping trip or something, and he hid in the barn. <laughs> Clever, right? Really smart. <laughs> So I don't know, some people like, noticed that my grandmother was going back and forth to the barn to kind of, I don't know, bring food to somebody. Who knows? Like, you know? And they figured it out that he was in the barn. So the communists came at night, and they lit the barn on fire uh, next to our house. And the barn started burning. And the communists were standing around, waiting for my grandfather to come running out so they could catch him, and they could kill him. The volunteer firemen of the village showed up with their buckets of water, and they were ready to fight this fire. And the communist soldiers said, no, we're waiting for someone to come out of here. And they let the barn burn and burn and burn. What they didn't know is that my grandfather had left two days before to get the hell out of there. He's not as stupid as I made him out to be. So my grandfather went to Austria. He managed to get across the border, and he spent three years in a refugee camp in Austria between 1945 and 1948. Nothing to do. No work. No activities, maybe playing some cards, just sitting around for three years, totally demoralizing. <laughs> Actually, I just finished four exams, and right now sitting around for three years sounds pretty good. 
I would, I would take that. But anyway, he was stuck in this, uh, in this refugee camp, and he wanted to get away to the United States. So he said, you know, let's go to the States, let's go to the States. He was looking for opportunities. But the States had had enough. They'd taken a lot of refugees. They said, okay, no more. He said, fine, no more refugees going to the States. What are my options? They said, you've got two options. You've got Canada or you've got Australia. Where do you want to go? And he kind of thought about it, and he was thinking, Canada, Australia, Canada, Australia, and he chose Canada. And every year, once a year, roughly in late January, I'm like, Grandpa, you're a freaking idiot. <laughs> Australia. Anyway, he chose Canada. And the guys from CP Rail, they came over, and they were signing up refugees to come and work in Canada and build the railway. This is when, in 1948. He signed a contract that said, I will work for you for one year, and I will take no money. <laughs> None. You'll pay my way to get to Canada, you'll feed me, and you'll give me clothes and tools to work with, and then I get no money whatsoever. It's like indentured servitude. So that's what he did. He went with other Slovenian refugees, and they came over to, uh, to Halifax, and they started building the railroad at some point, and they kept working and working and working, seven months, eight months, nine months. When 12 months was up, and they were free from their indentured servitude, they happened to be in London, Ontario. That's how far they had gotten in the work on this railroad. CN Rail was paying 85 cents an hour and CP was paying 80 cents an hour. So he said, all right, we're jumping ship, we're going to go work for CN Rail. And that's how he ended up in London, Ontario, just where he happened to be at the time. So they stayed there. Okay, so that's the story so far with my, my dad's family. Now we're going to switch over to my mother's family. So that's a different family. I don't want to confuse everyone. It's very confusing because the, my mom's mom is called grandma and my dad's mom is also called grandma. <laughs> they should sort that out. It's super confusing, but that's how it goes. So my mother's side of the family. My mother's from a beautiful, beautiful town uh, in, uh, in Slovenia called Bled. It's like their famous tourist destination. It's a beautiful crystal blue lake in the mountains, and there's an island in the middle with this old stone church. I mean, it's like out of a fairy tale book. And actually, incidentally, do you guys remember the cartoon Gem? Yeah. It was on after G.I. Joe every afternoon. Gem is from there, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember that episode. We're like, oh my god, it's that place in Slovenia. It's on Gem. It was so exciting, you know? Anyway, never mind. <laughs> If you don't know what it is, go on the internet. Everything's on the internet. Anyway, so th this town, she lived there. And uh, my, my mom's dad, Grandpa, also called Grandpa, he, uh, he just skipped out on the war. He's like, forget this. War, explosions, forget it. I'm going to Austria. I'm going to play in a band. <laughs> and he seriously did that. He went with his brothers, the three of them, and they were playing music in hotels. It was like Hanson. I don't know if singing. <laughs> And uh, I don't know, I think they had a pretty good time. It wasn't at the level of like Slash's autobiography, but it was pretty good, I think, you know? And then they came back after the war. His brother stayed in Austria, but he came back. And then he married uh, my mom's mom. And my mom's mom, uh, well, they had a difficult relationship. I'm not gonna go into details. It wasn't love at first sight or anything. When you ask my mother's mother, why did she marry grandpa? She actually says, because all the good men died in the war. <laughs> She says it, eh? That's not even a joke. That's not a joke. That's like her straight-faced answer. What time did you get up this morning? 6.30. Why'd you marry Grandpa? All the good men were dead. That's like her real answer. Not a lot of love in the house, but anyway, you know, they made a family, they made it work. And my, my mother was born, they were working in a hotel there in Bled. And then uh, my grandfather decided that he was going to go back to Austria because things were really, really hairy with the communists. It was really, really difficult. So he decided to get out of there. His brothers were still in Austria, so they sent him some forged papers. There was no, like, scanned passports at that time. They just kind of signed the paper and that. So he had the documents that he needed to go back to Austria, and he had a German, uh, he spoke German. He had lived there already, so he got on a train and he went across the border. If you get caught trying to leave communist Yugoslavia illegally, they kill you. You're not supposed to leave. This was very, very risky. 
He had these documents in hand and he was sitting on the train and he was waiting for the border control guy to come and check his documents. And the guy comes and he looks at the papers and he looks at my grandpa and he looks at the papers. Now, man, I thought I was nervous when I go to Burlington shopping for the weekend, but this is nervous, man. I mean, he's freaking out. Anyway, he got through. He got to Austria and eventually got to Canada. So now I've got grandpa in Canada and grandpa in Canada. Are you with me so far? <laughs> Back to my dad's family. So my dad's dad is there in London, working on the railroad, hammering this kind of thing, working. And he wants to meet his family and go back to Yugoslavia and make it work out. But the communists are still in control. Ignatz is still there in the village. Ignatz became the mayor after my grandfather uh, had to leave. So he couldn't go back. My grandmother was there raising her family, and she had no contact with her husband. This is not like Skype and all that. This is no contact, man. They had no telephone in the village. There was not physically a telephone in the village. They had a telegraph line for emergencies. You could send Morse code. <laughs> I mean, this was not a long-distance relationship as we know it today. You know? They had no contact. But at one point, she got a letter from her husband in Canada, and it had a, there was a stuffed bunny accompanying the letter. And she said, well, that's weird. I've got three kids. There's only one stuffed bunny. That's kind of funny, right? And uh, she read the letter, and it's like, oh, life is good in Canada. I just thought that was weird. There's another letter that came, and it said, hey, blah, 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 things are going well, I love you. Have a look in the bunny. So she opens up the bunny with a knife, and inside is a bunch of Canadian dollars. And my grandfather did this for years and years. He carefully undid the stitching of stuffed animals. He put money inside. He carefully sewed it up again so it would not be seen by the people reading all the mail in communist Yugoslavia. And he sent money back like that to my grandmother. That went on for 12 years. Their family lived over there. He lived alone, working on the railroad, sending money home, no contact other than a shared letter. Finally, they got organized. They got, uh, the embassy in Canada was saying that they would be accepting refugees from Yugoslavia again. He got the money together and he arranged everything for them to come. It had been 12 years that they had not seen each other. When my father, uh, when he left Yugoslavia, my father was five weeks old. He did not know his father at all. And he was going to Canada to meet him for the first time. So they got all their, uh, their money together. They packed up all their bags. They went to Belgrade. They took a train to Paris. They were waiting in Paris because they're gonna take a boat from Le Havre to get to Canada. <coughs> In Paris, they stayed at a hotel. Everything was arranged. These are farmers from Yugoslavia. They've never been in a hotel in Paris before. They don't know what that is. But then someone managed to communicate to them that there's going to be food in the room. They had room service. So they're sitting, you know, you're laughing. You know? So they're sitting in the room, waiting for the room service to come. And finally comes, they're like, oh my god, this food is so great. All these different things and cheese and they're eating. Oh my god, grapes and whatever. And then they get to the end of the meal. And left on the platter are these long, yellow, bizarre things that look like they come from Africa or something. Like, what is that yellow thing? It's weird. We would call that a banana, but they've never seen that before in their lives. So they said, we can't eat it. We can't eat it. It's so weird. And they're like, well, if we don't eat it, the hotel people will be offended, and maybe they won't let us go to Canada, so we better do something. <laughs> So they all mustered their energy, the four of them, my, my grandmother and the three kids, and they started eating this banana just like this. <laughs> like you would eat an apple or something. And they said, this is terrible. French food is great, but this sucks. So they had a new idea. They said, look, we can't just leave it here because they'll be offended. Not only did we not eat it, we tasted it and didn't eat it. So their big idea was to flush it down the toilet. So they threw all the bananas in the toilet of this fancy Parisian hotel and they flushed. It was not a good scene at all. Anyway, they were not barred from going to Canada after the flood and all the damage. 
I think a lot of nasty things were said in French, but they don't speak French, so that was fine. So then they get on the boat. Uh, my dad did not like the boat ride very well, much, because uh, he doesn't know anything about water. I mean, they're from, like, you know, the farm. They've never seen water. The only thing they had resembling a swimming pool was full of crap. <laughs> so water, no. My dad was bedridden, seasick for six days. He thought he was going to die. He was 12 years old at this point. And uh, the ocean just kept going on and on and on and on. And finally, they saw Newfoundland. And when he saw the sights of land, Newfoundland in this case, he got very excited. He said, OK, there's an end in sight. They landed in the old port in Montreal. And my grandfather was there to meet them. He'd been sending money back to these people that he had not seen in 12 years that he did not know very well. And my grandmother got off the train, and she finally saw her husband the father of her children, and the man said, let's go, and he just grabbed the bags. He did not even give her a hug. And she talks about that moment with tremendous pain, even to this day. And their life started like that. It was very difficult to overcome this separation. It was very hard to build a family out of that. My older uncle Frank, who was 14 at the time, he only lasted a couple years in the house. He had become the man of the family, and he had to deal with his father all of a sudden. It clashed, so he took off. My dad stuck around, and life went on. Things were very difficult at that time. They were the only immigrant kids in London, Ontario. The other Slovenian guys had wives in Canada, and they had kids in Canada. But this kind of people coming from planet Yugoslavia to Canada, to Canada had not been done before. So people thought my dad was crazy. They took him from grade 7, they put him in grade 5, because he didn't speak a word of English. So he was trying to learn uh, things, but he's just looking at the board, and he can't understand anything. I mean, just these crazy letters in English doesn't make any sense. But in math, he was a genius, because <laughs> he's doing grade five math, and the numbers are the same. And the kids could not figure it out. They're like, why are these complete, crazy idiots so good at math? <laughs> so weird. Anyway, uh, he kind of figured it out after a while. Uh, he got a job uh, delivering papers. I mean, he had 132 papers to deliver every morning. And uh, he told me that the papers were piled so high on his bike that he couldn't even see in front of him and no helmet, and he gives me a hard time about my driving. I mean, come on, man. So this was a summer job, and he worked other jobs, and finally, he saved up enough money to buy a 1966 red Chevy Malibu convertible. And he went to university, and he spoke English. I mean, the guy had arrived. Everything was fine. <laughs> he didn't tell me the whole story, but he failed a lot of classes. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> my mother also arrived in Canada after uh, the similar kind of trip. They, they, they took the plane, so it was a little bit quicker. But there was a confusion between London, England, and London, Ontario. They almost got rerouted in the wrong direction. And those are not the same city, let me tell you. <laughs> Spent a bit of time in both, not the same city. So my mother came to Canada, and she found it a lot easier to learn language. She thought that things were fine, because she was quite good at languages, so that was OK. But she was really having trouble with the concept of spelling. Not spelling, but the concept of spelling. Because you guys don't know this, but in normal, like, reasonable languages, like Slovenian or Russian or something, you say the word, and you just write how it sounds. In English, we've got O-U-G-H. We've got an N-word. We'll just, like, put a K in front of it. We've got double letters. We've got triple letters. We've got, you know, all kinds of weird stuff. So she didn't even get that what you say is not the same as what you write. And once she figured it out, this kind of game where you just have to memorize everything, she was really good at it. So she did well in school, and my mother also was able to go to university. My mother moved in with a woman who's a young Slovenian girl who I call my Aunt Louise. There was a leaky pipe. Aunt Louise called my father. He came over to fix the leaky pipe, and the rest is history, as they say. And on August 30th, 1978, I was born. It's not very exciting to you guys. It's really exciting to me. <laughs> like that day, I remember being really excited. 
Anyway, that's, that's what happened. That's what happened. So uh, anyway, they got together. And uh, I'm not going to tell the whole story about the conflict between the families, all this kind of thing. But they had to elope. And the place where they went off to get married was that same church uh, next to that crystal, perfect blue lake in Slovenia. And everything kind of went back to where it had, had begun. Eventually, uh, things got better in Yugoslavia. It got less restrained. And Mr. Ignatz, the famous enemy of the communist camp, uh, he eventually died of a horrible and painful cancer. And the Catholics believed that that was God doing his business. <laughs> After Ignaz died, my grandfather was able to go back to Yugoslavia, to the house where he lived, uh, to see his land, to see his roots once again. Uh, and life went on in a much, much more uh, calm and less tumultuous uh, fashion. So my family got to go back there. And my mother finally met her grandmother, who she had not met before. And they said, oh, you've been to Canada. You've been to Canada. How is Canada? This woman that was on her deathbed said, I would rather go to Canada than go to heaven. That's what the perspective was of these people. It was really something that they, they had been able to accomplish. So my family came from very humble roots. They had a lot of problems. They had a lot of difficulties. But eventually, they were able to really make it in the new world here over in Canada. My father did very well for himself. And he never forgets where he came from. It's a long, long and torturous road. And I, as well, I don't know where I'm going, what I'm doing with my life. I have no clue. But at least I know where I'm from. And it has something to do with a big stone house in a little town in Slovenia. Confabulation will return on Saturday, January 10th. We'll be at Mainline Theater in Montreal for Confabulation Presents All in the Timing, a co-production with the Bouge DC Dance Festival. All information can be found at confabulationmontreal.com. Be sure to also catch me, Matt Goldberg, in Uncalled For Presents Play Day May Day uh, at the 2015 Centaur Wildside Festival in Montreal. It's playing from January 7th to the 17th. You can get more information at centaurtheater.com. And, uh, you know, while you're there, also check out Steph Robert in For Body and Light Presents Coming and Going. Confabulation, the podcast, is produced by Paula Flalo and hosted by Matt Goldberg. For more on Confabulation, you can check out confabulationmontreal.com or check us out on Facebook, the preferred social platform for everyone whose name is not Paula Flalo. Confabulation, the podcast, is distributed by No More Radio, available every week at nomoradio.com. Support for No More Radio comes from Montreal Improv. You can check them out at montrealimprov.com. 